Welcome to episode 167 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss Phil Gould's plan for the NRL to thrive and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 167 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, what's new this week? Dr. T, uh, i got to say, it's been uh, pretty good. The Rugby League is uh, is back, and it's, uh, it's doing well. We're getting... A few more crowds here and there, which is fantastic. And uh, I've got to say, I've got to love the footy. Um, you know, some of the big hits are uh, trending worldwide. I don't know if you saw uh, on Instagram where mm. there was over 100,000 likes on the, some of the big hits from the Bulldogs game, uh, which was kind of crazy. But, yeah, but look, I- I've been well. You know, it's getting cold out there, but the footy's just heating up. How about yourself there, Dr. T? Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, yeah, the, I, I have been watching with interest the Americans getting very interested in the big hits. Mm. Uh, it's Look, to be honest, we've seen it all before, and I'm sure we'll get into it at some point later as well. But, you know, we've, we've, we definitely know what the game can, can produce and how it can attract attention of people overseas. Uh, I just hope that, that um, you know, that attention-grabbing kind of highlights reel that we seem to produce almost every week actually leads to something concrete apart from people going, I have to play that rugby and then totally signing up for the (laughs) wrong game. (laughs) That's what we want to avoid. We want to remind people that you really get these hits in uh, in only really one form of the game, and that's rugby league, and uh, and you see it regularly. Uh, And this is the thing people need to realise, that this isn't just... Uh, you know that the the best against the best, uh, you know, international games or state of origin is just a club game, you know, and you see it, and it's not even the best teams can produce the best uh, football or the best hits, and so yeah. uh, it's it's super awesome to see that the the Twitter's going nuts over it, considering what else is happening in the world nowadays. But um, I just hope that we can turn it into something, uh, you know, positive going forward. But look, uh, you know, what else is new? Well. Unfortunately, we've had our. I have to crack open the the whatever the our old crystal ball episode because uh, uh, unfortunately we've had our first referee sacking in the NRL this week. Uh, referee, are you talking about coach? Sorry, sorry, coach, coach sacking. Sorry, re- <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's uh, that's called wishful thinking. There, everyone. That was <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, coach sacking, coach sacking in the NRL. Wow. Um, of course, I'm talking about uh, the Warriors, Stephen Carney, who uh, you know used to coach my team, the Eels, uh, and was also unceremoniously sacked at one point. So he <laughs> has unfortunately been sacked from quite a few clubs. And uh, look, the Warriors, I guess, you know, were thinking that he wasn't really producing the goods. And um, Tish, what's your reaction to that first coach sacking this year? Unexpected? 
Yeah, well, this is very, very interesting because, like, um, Stephen Kearney has been a long-time coach for the Warriors, uh, which I found. And, um, you know, I think, though, that, you know, they really haven't had the success over the over the years that they've had, and the Warriors had a very bad end of last year sort of thing. Um, and lots of people talking about, you know, sort of, uh, you know, rumours and mumbling about how he'd actually go as, as um, you know, as as coach for 2020. Then he actually heard in the offseason that potentially he couldn't, could not even start the season. Um, you know, there was so much dissent. Uh, and then everything happens with COVID, and you see how the Warriors are sort of sucked together. And, uh, you know, Stephen Kennedy was a bit of a hero, a little bit, um, you know, just being able to, you know, make the sacrifice and, uh, you know, uh, be a, a good liaison for the Warriors uh, to the NRL in terms of getting everything set up. And then, you know, so now we've uh, gone to post-COVID. The Warriors have surprised some people with a couple of wins because nobody expected it to do quite well. And uh, it's funny, we've had so many rumours over the last few weeks about coaches being sacked. Um, you know, we've had McGregor, we've had Dean Pay, we've had... Paul Green, we've had, uh, you know, we've had Kevin Bacon even, you know, John Morris, uh, all rumoured to to potentially lose a job, Seabold. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, out of losing one game, Stephen Kearney, he's gone. <laughs> so everything that happens probably uh, before the season maybe popped up again. And uh, so uh, just the fact with everything that happened with COVID, I think a lot of people are calling this a bit cold. because obviously Stephen Kearney uh, gets fired and then has to... Uh, fly back to New Zealand. It's been a good while since he's actually been in New Zealand because he's been in Australia all the time. So very interesting situation uh, for the Warriors. But um, look, I did hear a report today that the reason why they've done it now is because they do have quite a lot of their roster that is up for, um, you know, that that is uh, their contracts are going to expire at the end of the year. So there's quite a lot of players that could be moving around and they, you know, want to start that coaching journey early so they can start to build a team for the next few years. So, um, look, Warriors definitely in transition. Bit of a shock that it was Stephen Kearney. Um, but, you know, if you asked me at the start of the season, I, I would have thought he would have been the favourites. But, yeah, there you go. What about your thoughts, Dr. T? Yeah, oh, look, I must admit it's a bit of a shock considering that a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Paul McGregor Happy being on the yeah. chopping block, which I thought would have been a more mm. obvious logical choice. Uh, it's, it is a bit unusual. I mean, yes, it may, I guess it makes it easier when they, you know, they, we'll get to, into it in a minute, but they lost that game on the weekend to the Rabbitohs, 40-12, to 12, bit of a flogging, but certainly not the biggest flogging of the year. I mean, how Seabold managed to survive those first few games <laughs> after COVID is just unbelievable when you look at what's happened. And you would think that that is more of a signal of um, some unrest uh, amongst the Broncos, uh, you know, but for whatever reason... Uh, you know, look, what, I, what I'm really thinking is that now that uh, the floodgates, uh, potentially the gate has opened, could the floodgates open? Could we be seeing a mass exodus of, uh, you know, coaches in the NRL this year? Could we be seeing Seabold, and, who again, you know, presides over uh, mm. a very underperforming Broncos lineup um, yep. in the chopping, chopping line as well? And... And look, uh, well, the Dragons received a bit of a reprieve with a win against the Titans, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah. you know, how close is is Paul McGregor to to being hundred uh, percent supported by the board? You know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and and Dean Pay. There's been rumours as well about Dean Pay, even though a lot of people are saying, look, you know, it, Dean Pay's actually done well considering the very slim roster that he's got there at the Bulldogs compared to the other teams. So, you know, there's at least three other <laughs> coaches that might be looking yeah. at down the barrel of, uh, you know, the firing squad. And so... You know, who knows? So it'd be interesting to yeah. see what happens in the next few weeks. Um, well, well, it's also interesting to see what's happening in uh, other sports as a bit of a trend. Uh, you know, superstar tennis great or, you know, world-class player Nick Kyrgios, you know, he's vowed to never have a coach again. And I'm just wondering whether we might even see the end of coaching as we know it, Dr. T. We might even have no coaches in the NRL. How's that? Well, that's a big call. I mean, if Nick Kyrgios can make it work, uh, <laughs> I think right. I think it's up for grabs for any NRL team to go coachless. Coachless, that's right. Self self managed teams. Um, well, you, you know, know that- we've gone from that's the other extreme of the uh, the old Ipswich Jets combo of the Walker brothers. Now we've got from two coaches to one. Potentially, is the newest <laughs> trend. I mean, yeah. yeah. Who know? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe with the post-COVID world, maybe it's just the coach at home and uh, coaching by Zoom. I mean, who knows? Zoom you know, coaching. Coach yeah. doesn't even need to be there. Yeah, it's like just face, FaceTime him. <laughs> Zochin, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> FaceTime face in when uh, you know when you're about to get on the field and see what happens. Uh, yeah, there you go. But uh, look, let's get uh, – we've got a big, big show today because uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. We've got uh, – we don't have a normal six tackles because we're going to deep dive into some very interesting kind of topics that uh, Phil Gould raised in a very in- interesting article. We're going to do our usual r- wrap of uh, the previous round and our tips, but in between we're just going to deep dive into some issues. Uh, it's going to be heavy, uh, but we'll, we'll see how, how we go. So let's get into – our usual tackle one, which is our round six wrap. Here we go. All right. So the Knights 27 defeated Brisbane Broncos six. Uh, Tish, what were your thoughts on this match? Well, look, uh, the 27-6 scoreline, part of the reason why it was 27-6 is, is um, because, you know, uh, I think it was a uh, first-half field goal by the uh, by the Knights because at that stage the game was close. Um, so the Knights um, had put on an 80-minute performance, but I think the Brisbane Broncos definitely slipped away right, you know, uh, you know, in the second half, basically. At 27-6, you know, it kind of continues on the Brisbane's, um, you know, woes. Uh, you know, they've had uh, this youth policy that they've uh, implemented, uh, but then they went ahead and signed Ben Tia and Isaac Luke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, totally totally so, logical uh, there, yeah. It's it totally t- logical. So, and it was, uh, I believe it was their, both their first games uh, of the season. So, look, uh, things not going well for Brisbane. Um, and, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, uh, not not very good at all. So, um, but in the meantime, the Knights uh, kind of bouncing back from a couple of, uh, you know, sort of disappointing performances that they've had recently. But I think they're definitely a side that is going to do uh, damage. They're going to be in the finals this year, and I think they're going to do quite well. And you could see that spine of Pierce, um, you know, Ponga and, uh, you know, uh, sort of, 
the rest of them really gelling, and I think that's gonna it's gonna hold him in good stead towards the uh, end of the season. Also, got to mention Daniel Saifedi. I thought he had an absolute great game, mm-hmm. moving the ball forward. Um, they've got they've got a really good forward pack there at uh, Newcastle as well. So, um, I think yeah, all around a really good, well balanced team versus Brisbane. Um, I, I heard Brisbane described as a bit of a donut, where they seem to have um, some really good forwards, and they seem to have uh, you know some some exciting backs out there, but then they don't really have too much going on in the spine. And I think that's a, a fair reflection. Um, they're just not getting enough out of uh, their nine, their seven, their six, and their one. And I think that uh, they really need to work on that because because uh, that's 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 probably where they're going uh, the worst. And, and I, you know, I don't know really what it is. How do you fix it? I think there's so many things to fix at Brisbane, but, um, you know, I think they're a real possibility of missing out on finals this year. They just don't seem to be playing well at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, look, Mitchell Pierce is coming into his own as well. There was a couple of good assists there that I saw. Uh, so, yeah, that was a good game. Uh, Rabbitohs, 40, uh, we mentioned it before, over the Warriors, 12. The final nail in the coffin of uh, the Carney coaching reign there at the Warriors. Uh, you know, a really, really good performance there by uh, by the Rabbitohs. You know, basically, it, it, it could have been even a bigger score, but I think they kind of, uh, you know, they stopped scoring, you know, with 10 minutes to go, and there was a consolation try at the end there to the Warriors. So it was like 40 to 6, I think, at one point. Um, but, yeah, uh, look, uh, what can you say? I mean, uh, a, a well-rounded performance, I would say. I did see mm. some very interesting, uh, you know, kind of little different things that you, you wouldn't expect to see that kind of give you a sense that, you know, like the some of the experimentation that Wayne Bennett is going through there might be uh, coming to fruition. There was quite a bit of running by Adam Reynolds. You know, he played the role of a bit mm-hmm. of a running back at times, which is a bit unusual. Uh, I thought that suited him well. And he, in fact, he scored a try at one point by, by backing up. Wow. It's not the usual kind of thing that we would expect from Adam Reynolds. He's usually the organiser. And so I thought I thought that was good, and I also thought that uh, Latrell Mitchell did a pretty good job as well. Um, uh, is that right? Hang on, he did play. That's right. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. And, uh, I think it was his best game as a uh, fullback there for that's, the Rabbits. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I think there was some contra- Was there some controversy in this one where, look, potentially he might be charged for uh, high tackle which he probably could have been sent off for, unfortunately. But then he also was involved in, I think, a play from the Warriors lineup uh, uh, kind of gave him a bit of a, uh, you know, there was a suggestion he put some fingers in his face and almost in his eyes, bit of an unfortunate scenario. But, um, but yeah, look, I think overall the Rabbitohs are showing, look, I really like what their attack, what they produce in attack. They look really crisp. And yeah. really fast. And I think that's something that, you know, I also saw Damien Cook doing some excellent things as well. And I think, you know, they're the dark horse, I think. I think if people are forgetting about the Rabbitohs, watch out because they're going to explode in the finals, especially if Latrell Mitchell gets some good game time and exposure at the fullback role. So, Teach, what are your thoughts about this match? Yeah, well, look, um, look, I echo everything that you just said there. Um Really great, great performance by Souths. They're a team that is on an upward trajectory. 
Oh, look, they had some indifferent form at the start of the season. And, um, you know, uh, I think Latrell getting used to fullback plus they didn't have Walker for a few weeks due to suspension. Now they've got their, their complement back. They know what they're doing. And I think they're adjusting to, I think it took them a while to adjust to the rules, uh, the new rules, but I think now they've adjusted quite well. And I think, uh, yeah, the Rabbitohs are a team to watch for sure. All right. And the big upset. Uh, not for you, because you, I think you tipped this one, but <laughs> the Panthers, 21 against the Melbourne Storm, 14. Bit of a changing of the guard, considering, mm. you know, look, I know we spoke about the Panthers being right up there, but I think this performance really has nailed it in terms of, uh, you know, cementing uh, the, the the Panthers as a real contender. I, I just, you can never go past the Storm, even no matter how much you write them off. Uh, you can always expect that they're just going to put in clinical performances as they have been lately. But this game, bit of to-in and fro-in, bit of back and forth, was six all at half time, and basically, uh, you know, it, it ended up being, uh, look, a last-minute, well, uh, two tries to one in the second half, but, you know, with only a few minutes to go, a Nathan Cleary field goal to put them seven points ahead, which basically, uh, you know, uh, snuffed out any chance of a, a final comeback from the Storm. So it was a tight game, a very high-quality game too. What were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, look, uh, high-quality, uh, I think, is a, is a really good way of putting it. These are two teams that are going to play finals this year. And uh, look, the Panthers had a really good game against Parramatta the week before. But were unlucky and they lost and I thought they showed lots of skill. It was a really hard and fast game. And they, um, you know, back-to-back performances that shows, you know, they can play that fast, up-tempo style with anybody. And they weren't intimidated by Melbourne. They weren't intimidated by the record and, and the whole story. And they, and they went and played really, really well. And I thought, uh, yeah, Penrith had a fantastic game. Similar to Melbourne Storm, I think the Melbourne Storm played great. You know, I really liked, um, you know, the Panthers, you could see them, uh, you know, every tackle – they had a uh, different game plan. Uh, they had a different ways to attack Melbourne, and you know they spread the ball wide early in their tackle counts to get out of their set of things. They used to run hard throughout the whole game. I thought they really dominated the field position, and yeah, they just um, they seemed to get organised really well in uh, attack as well when they were putting on the raids. Uh, Cleary Nathan Cleary is enjoying running the team, and I think having him back has really helped them sort of bring their game to another level. And in the flip side, I thought, um, you know, Cameron Munster, uh, the thing about Melbourne is that Cameron Munster, I think the more he gets involved, the better Melbourne will go. He, uh, you know, he set up a pass. I believe it was the Brinker Lee uh, try. It was uh, it was one of the greatest passes I've ever seen. It was really uh, sharp to the point. It made complete sense. The try looked so simple, but it was just the way he executed that pass that was great. And similarly, now Nathan Cleary with a midfield bomb uh, going to kick out. Uh, I think Brad Fittler said that they look like a human mop running down the field. <laughs> and uh, it was kicked perfectly. And that was a, quite a spectacular try as well. So, um, look, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited. And you know what? This this new type of football that we're seeing, you know, with the new rule changes, the six against, you know, the faster, harder game, I think... Uh, that is what makes uh, it made this game a lot more entertaining than what we would have seen from these two teams last year, and I think that's that's benefited everybody. Yeah, well said. Uh, look, and at the bottom of the table clash was the next one: the <laughs> Titans uh, versus the Dragons. Dragons running out winners, twenty points to eight. 
uh, Titans are really lagging behind. They uh, they weren't really in it at all until uh, a, a consolation try with only a few minutes to go. So the Dragons, you know, I guess considering the kind of dramas that they've been going through with James Graham uh, heading back, uh, yeah, it's, is that is that imminent yet? I'm not sure what's happening with that, but I think he's played his last game already. So he's uh, he's uh, he's waiting for his. Uh, I, I don't know how you get to England now during uh, well, the yeah, being shut. But <laughs> well, he was he he did play some minutes in this game. He played 32 minutes. So uh, you know, yeah, you're right. So if that's the last game, well, unfortunately, not the not the high that you want to go out on by defeating the Titans, but. Uh, you know, but well done. Uh, a, a interesting career here. Uh, an almost premiership winner, James Graham. Uh, done so well with the Bulldogs and also with the Dragons. But um, yeah, look, not much to say. What do you want to say about this game, Tish? Well, not much to say at all. Bottom of the clash. One team had to win. One team had to lose. Um, look, great for Mary. Uh, the Dragons winning. I think it's two in a row for them. So that's good. And I think the Titans. Um, you know, they've got a bit of talent in there, but uh, look, obviously their roster is not as strong as some of the other teams, which is yeah, which is something that they have to work on. All right. Uh, Tigers, uh, 36 uh, running out winners against the Cowboys, 26 tries to four. <laughs> that tells you what kind of a game this was. Uh, you know, not much for... Um, and it was good, good conditions, fine weather. Um, you know, okay quality match, I would say. But, but yeah... Um, I think, I think. Look, the the Tigers. I put them slightly above the Cowboys in terms of their potential this year, and this kind of didn't disappoint. Uh, went to plan, in my view. What are your thoughts on this game? Well, um, look, Doctor Tao did watch this game. This game was so awesome for me as a Tiger supporter in the first half because uh, the Tigers led at halftime, thirty-four nil, and they won the game thirty-six twenty. So. <laughs> The second half was a completely different story. Uh, I don't know what Paul Green said uh, to the Cowboys, um, but uh, basically, you know, the Tigers' uh, defense in the first half went from rock solid in the first half to basically paper thin in the second half. And it was a complete reverse in the other dressing room. So don't know if it's the Campbelltown pitch. I know that Campbelltown Stadium has, uh, has been dropped. Uh, there, there aren't any games this round for Campbelltown because the pitch is like uh, being absolutely destroyed. Uh, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it was kind of a kind of a remarkable game in that way. And look, um, uh, look, the Tigers. The good thing is that the the players actually weren't really happy, too much happy with their second half, which which kind of is good. So hopefully they're learning. And meanwhile, look, Paul Green, he's kind of under the chopping block now for that pretty bad performance that the Cowboys had in the first half. And I think. Uh, Look, he's, he's under a lot of pressure too. And look, so is the state of Queensland because that is the third Queensland team out of three teams to lose this week. Um, so that is a really bad round for Queensland Rugby League. You know, all three teams struggling towards the uh, bottom of the ladder. I think the Cowboys are the highest ranked uh, Queensland team at 10th. So that's uh, that's not good signs at all. No, not good at all. Um yeah, look, they've got to really pick up their game. Uh, and look, now let's move on to probably the highest quality match that uh, that you would mm. you would ever almost ever see. Uh, you know, some really great 
you know, highlights as well that we're seeing internationally from this game. Yeah. Um, which we'll get to in a minute. But the Roosters running out winners at top of the table clash, I guess, 24 to 10 over the Eels. The scoreline probably flattered the Roosters a bit. But, uh, you know, when you're up against the best, you can't afford to make excuses for being uh, at the bot- at the wrong end of an unflattering score. The fact is that they still... Uh, the Eels have a lot to do, I think, to catch up to the Roosters, who are still the benchmark, obviously. But they showed some very good signs. And with, uh, you know, they were within shooting distance with uh, not very long to go. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, in fact, they were they were kind of, uh, were they ahead at one point? I think they were ahead. Yeah, they were. They were ahead uh, until, you know, until the 60th or so minute. Uh, and then... Uh, then it kind of got blown away. So, uh, uh, had, yeah, basically, uh, look, the other thing that was very interesting was that, and this is very unusual, was that four penalty try, penalty goals, sorry, were scored by uh, the Roosters. So I found that quite interesting. You know, we talked about, uh, look, I haven't gone through each one in detail, but, you know, we talk about the six again rule and the fact that that allows referees to kind of, um, you know, gives them a bit more uh, judgment and uh, it gives them a bit of power. I wonder whether, you know, if you look at the stats about how often the Roosters are getting uh, penalties within scoring position, uh, you know, can you advantage a side by allowing them by actually giving them the penalty as opposed to just blowing six again. Uh, you know, so that that's something of interest. But look, a very high-quality match. To me, the highlight was the uh, the Sivo, uh, you know, barnstorming run uh, to score a try where he basically <laughs> knocked over um, uh, James Sadesco very close to the try line. It just, uh, in fact, I think he, did he concuss him? I believe. Yes. It yes. was, they had to give the medicab out. They had yeah. to project his neck and then, yeah, somehow Tedesco, uh, yeah, he, he was right to play the end of the game, but yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a good hit. And it's unfortunate that there was a bit of an injury there, but, um, Look, any other day of the week, that would have just been. It was, it was up there with the, uh, you know, the great kind of highlights that you've seen in the past with, from, you know, even cross code, the likes of Jonah Lomu, you know, that kind of. Yeah. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, what were your thoughts on the game overall, there, Tish? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, to be honest, there, it was like a state of origin game. Watching this game, it was so high quality. Um, yeah, just straight after watching the Tigers, uh, Tigers, uh, Cowboys game, then watching this game, I felt like I was watching a completely different sport. It was uh, there was such a big contrast in terms of, you know, the zero drop ball, the zero amount of errors that both teams sort of displayed. Um, the really, uh, I gotta say, the really crisp attack both teams had as well. Um, they threw everything at each other, and um, it was remarkable that the score was eight nil at halftime. There were so many times, and you know, I felt like for the, for the whole game, when is Paramount going to score? Because like they they just got so close in the first half, but just couldn't put it away. And then that you know the the Michael Jennings try kind of where well you know they're crackable and you know had that story a little bit where you had this young team that can uh, you know that was full of energy, full of life. You know, it's kind of the future of rugby league sort of thing, taking on the old guard that sort of uh, you know has been has been sort of dominant, and then you know. It's co- 
you know, throughout the whole game, Parramatta seemed to be the underdogs, but they, you know, finally pulled ahead. But just when he thought they were ahead, the Roosters, they go up another gear and come back. So it was it was really great. And uh, look, yeah, that, that moment where Sivo uh, scored, he... He basically got the ball, and Tedesco was coming near. And Tedesco, he is a he's a great defender. He's, um, you know, he's saved so many tries for the Roosters and so many tries for uh, New South Wales and for Australia. And he just got run completely over the top. Andrew Voss is on commentary. He had, I got to say, one of the greatest lines. Um, you know, where basically he said, "Sevo um, just ran over the top of Tedesco." Maybe call a priest. No, sorry. Maybe call an ambulance. Better yet, you may need to call a priest. That's <laughs> what he said. But it kind of made sense because he he looked out cold to this guy. I, I was kind of fearful. And the, the fact where they brought the medicab out as well, I thought, what has gone on here? I think Sivas just killed somebody. But it was, uh, yeah. But it was it was a phenomenal hit. And look. That is that is the quality of of the team. I actually think that this is actually a really good game that Parramatta had lost because it kind of showed them that if they had would have won this game, I think they would have taken um, the Roosters lightly later on. But I think this kind of was a bit of a reality check that yes, mm-hmm. they've they, they've won five in a row, but look, they're still not where they need to be, and they keep they need to still keep working hard and improving and keep you know sort of making better decisions on the field. Because I think ultimately, in, in many ways, as much as the Roosters played phenomenal, but I think Parramatta could also take some lessons about what they could have done a little bit better. You know, maybe you know, maybe we didn't need to um, hold the ball in the fifth tackle. Maybe we did need to, you know, um, try to get another repeat set here or there. Maybe we need to be better at the way we sort of, um, you know, give away too many six again starts and just different things like that. And look, you know, maybe we're giving away too many penalties. Um, that are in a position for the the opposition to score, uh, you know, to score uh, conversions in that. You know, all those little little aspects. I think Parramatta would learn a lot from that. So uh, I don't think you could be too. I mean, obviously you're disappointed that that Parramatta couldn't couldn't win, but I think there's a lot of good points they could take out of it. Oh, look, you almost said it perfectly uh, there, Tish. The way I would have said it. I would, I would probably add that it was the loss that the Eels had to have. <laughs> it was, oh, okay. they, it was, they needed to have this loss to, it was a bit of a reality check. Unfortunately, didn't do anything on the ladder because they're still coming first. <laughs> so, but, uh, but at the very least, it kind of reminded them that, you know, whether you're top of the table or not, the Roosters flogged you uh, or they beat you, but they beat you quite soundly uh, on the scoreboard at the end of the day. And so that's something that they should take away from that. Um, and look, here, the next game was another two quality sides, also a high-quality game. Uh, the Raiders and the Sea Eagles, Manly winning that one 14 points to six. Uh, look, you know, basically the the Sea Eagles, what a great performance. They managed to keep Canberra scoreless for the first half, which is not an easy thing to do given uh, yeah. the kind of firepower that Canberra have all over the park. And... Uh, but yeah, again, this is probably some good lessons to be taken out of this as well. Is that Canberra? Canberra, I think, have dropped a little bit from last year from where yeah. I thought they would be. Um, I don't know what what it is that's going on. I don't know what they've lost necessarily. Maybe there's a bit of uh, complacency going on there. Uh, maybe they just you know they just haven't adapted to the new style of game, and I think that's probably probably got something to do with it. I think. 
Ricky Stewart managed to kind of master the uh, the 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 wrestling type game. Uh, and now that the game's all changed with a few rule changes, uh, maybe he just needs to adapt a little bit. But they're still up there. They're still within shooting distance. And look, Manly uh, showing again that they're just grinding out these wins. Win by win by win. Uh, this is uh, it's got Des Hasler all over <laughs> the the imprints of Des Hasler all over these performances by Manly, and it's great to see. Um, and they seem to be coping quite well with the changes as well. So, uh, Tish, what were your thoughts on uh, this match? Yeah, well, look, a really great effort for Manly. I think they um, they might have even suffered some. In- I think Tom Travoy might have suffered an injury during this game, but they uh, look they. They didn't look like the better team, but they just stuck it out throughout the whole game and sort of showed that determination that to sort of win the game. And uh, yeah, they ended up winning 14 points to six. And I think Canberra, with Canberra strong, they've got a, I mean, they've got a real difficult challenge every week while they're in this situation. They don't really have a home ground. Um, look, let's just call it the way it is. Campbelltown is not a home ground for them because they need to travel three hours to get to Campbelltown every every uh, week. Um, and then the other weeks they're away and, uh, you know, there's no, you know, uh, so this week they're at Bank West, for example, against the Eels. So that means that they're going to have to travel, you know, the same sort of different distance every week. I think that has an effect on their preparation. But I think ultimately they're just missing something in attack at the moment. It's just not gelling the way it needs to gel. Uh, but I think Ricky Short's smart enough and I think they have the player talent to, to be able to get away from, uh, to move away from this as well. I think the other thing that you have to consider is what a, what a, what a huge side, uh, para, para, uh, sorry, Canberra is in terms of uh, physical size and maybe the faster sort of game doesn't really suit them that well. So maybe, uh, maybe that's probably something they need to look at as well. Maybe sort of change up a bit of their side, try to get a, a few more, um, sort of, uh, you know, nimbler type of players in there that could actually help them as well. But look, um, great work on Des Hasler and, and Manly. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a great game as well. All right. And uh, Sharks 20 against the Bulldogs 18. A close match there, uh, probably a little bit closer than uh, the Sharks would have wanted with the Bulldogs getting a late consolation try there. Uh, they were kind of well within, uh, you know, well, well ahead uh, with a few minutes to go, but look, the key thing here, I think, is uh, yeah, the Sharks ground out the win. That's the key thing, but they probably should have done a little bit better. Matt, Matty Moylan got smashed by Watney Zelezniak at some point, which has is yeah. one of the uh, you know one of the highlights that made its way around uh, the internet. Uh, and the other key thing to remember here is that look, despite the fact that the Sharks are sort of grounding out these wins, uh, you know. There is still there are some rumours going around that you know someone like Sean Johnson is uh, potentially you know in the firing line as well. Uh, people unhappy with what uh, the Sharks are doing, but uh, you know when you look at the stats, he is continuing to produce a lot of uh, try assists. He's running around, he's organising, he's doing the kind of uh, the job that you would expect of uh, a half, even though he's a five eighth. But he's an organiser now. He's not the same as what he used to be, and in terms of the uh, the fast stepping uh, Sean Johnson, but um, look, they're they're doing what they need to do to keep up with the middle of the pack, and that's the best they can do at this point. So, what were your thoughts on this one, Tish? Yeah, look, uh, great win by the Sharks to win by two, even though they scored four four points to three. 
four tries <laughs> to three, so they probably need to... I think Sean Johnson, he probably needs to work on his goal-kicking a bit more as well. Uh, but look, yeah, great win. And look, um, I think the Sharks, you, you know, they've got the lot roster to, to sort of do some damage, but they're just... Uh, yeah, maybe this win is going to help them. But that's that's all I can say about that for them at this stage. It's not really all right. that well for them. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll move on. But yeah, so after that round, uh, the interesting thing is that we've got... Uh, we've got a bit of a, a split. We've got the Eels uh, still at number one uh, on 10 points. And then we've got the Knights and Panthers on nine, Roosters, Raiders, Storm, and Seagulls on eight points. And equal eight is Rabbitohs and Tigers on six points. And then, uh, as you said, uh, you know, we've got the Sharks, Dragons, Warriors, Broncos on four, and Bulldogs and Titans equal last with the Titans with a very massive uh, negative for and against, putting them dead last. So um, very interesting ladder. But look, let's get on to the main thing we need to talk about, which is uh, Phil Gould's plan for the NRL. So this week, Phil Gould penned a very important article this uh, uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, outlining his vision for how the NRL can not only survive but thrive into the future. We're going to take a bit of a deep dive into some of his recommendations and give our views. So, uh, and the interesting thing here is that this also comes at a time where uh, this week was a very interesting uh, 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 interview with uh, ARL Commission Chairman Peter Volandis on uh, on one of the Foxtel programs, uh, which um, I managed to catch a little bit of it. And some of that, the comments that Peter Volandis made very much are within the same kind of uh, ballpark and alignment with uh, with Phil Gould. So what I thought I'd do, Tish, is go through some of the the key things. So look, the 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 thrust of what he's saying basically in this article, uh, Phil Gould, is that um, look the with with Peter Volandis at the helm, you know there was a, an uh, at the time that the COVID crisis occurred, we we basically, the NRL's uh, financial woes and problems were brought to bear and were visible for all to see. And we decided as a game uh, through the leadership of Peter Volandis to basically, uh, you know, take a look at what the problems were and be honest. Uh, he, he says, honestly, audit and appraise itself is what the NRL did. And it certainly did because it exposed quite a few problems in terms of the financial mismanagement, uh, kind of constantly borrowing from the future to cover up the problems of the present, all that kind of thing, very expensive head office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and as a result of that, there have been some changes, immediate changes that have been made as we've been talking about the uh, in terms of the game opening up a little bit with some of the rule changes. Uh, it's changed dramatically, uh, the, 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 the spectacle of the game. But Phil Gould really gets into a lot of uh, detail around and some a lot of ideas, which is why I wanted to talk through some of these ideas in detail one by one. Uh, he's got some good ideas um, about not only what the NRL can do to survive, but also how it can thrive into the future. So, Tish, if you'll allow me, let's go through one by one and have a quick discussion of the key things that he says. So here we go. So the first thing he talks about is the need to resurrect a second tier uh, so that those uh, NRL players who are not playing in the top team, top teams get some uh, match practice. And uh, 
So he talks about, uh, for example, all top 30 players in every club to be playing in some organized 13-a-side games. Uh, what do you think about that idea of resurrecting that second tier? Look, I yes, uh, the answer, the short answer is yes. Look, I think at the moment the reason why we don't have the um, the Intrust Super Cup uh, and uh, uh, you know competitions in Queensland and New South Wales is obviously due to the restrictions that are. But I think the NRL does need to look at how they can sort of bring those players back because obviously if there are injuries in the top thirty of each of the clubs, we need to do that. Um, so I think that that is definitely something that they need to look at. Um, there needs to probably be a bit of an overhaul about... Uh, I know it got too expensive for the NRL to have the uh, under-20s competition, uh, sort of, but I think in many ways it was uh, really good for the development of, of basically all the clubs and all, and all the talent. And I think we need to continue to somehow have some sort of underneath competition like that. So basically each club's got two teams, basically a, a first tier and a second tier, and that second tier is is age-based, something like that, that sort of, I think we do need to get back to that. Um, but I just don't know how expensive it's going to be. So I've got to say, yes, in theory, uh, but I'm not sure about in terms of financially. All right, fair enough. Uh, how about yourself, What's your verdict? Yeah, look, I think I think Phil Good's right on this one. I think we do need, we've lost something. I think, you know, uh, I don't know whether an age-based sort of thing is the key, though. I think it might be, you know, maybe the resurrection of a kind of a, an actual reserve, reserve grade, grade kind of competition. I think the problem is that it's like, you know, once a player doesn't make it to the top grade in one club, then they get sent to a completely different club to play the next week. It sounds, it, it, to me, it kind of loses that, you know, you're part of this club. You know, to be, in a, to, to be sent to reserve grade is what we used to see players do. Um, when they weren't performing and they got a chance to kind of still play for their club, but play, you know, at a, at a lower level and to, you know, especially when there's injuries and things like that to get match fit for many, many good reasons why you would send a, a player to reserve grade. And it was a genuine reserve grade. It wasn't just like, all right, well, you know, you, you Roosters player, uh, uh, sorry, well, let's say you Rabbitohs player don't, don't make the top set side. So next week you're going to play North Sydney. You know, whatever, you know, a totally different team. It makes no sense um, to me. Uh, it's, it loses that continuity within the club and it doesn't look like it's it's a clear pathway either. So I think there's a lot that is a bit muddled about that and I think that could be clarified. I'm not sure about the age-based thing, but I think uh, having the reserve grade is definitely needed uh, and, and we need to think of the club in its, as a whole rather than just the top 30 players, uh, even though... The top 30 players are those that are being uh, counted under the salary cap. So uh, the next thing Phil Gould talks about is um, the need for a multicultural strategy. He talks about one third of Australia's population is born overseas. How do we make rugby league their game? So he's talking about taking the game to people who are not, uh, you know, born in Australia and come from overseas. He specifically called out we need an Asian strategy which is interesting because we only just spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Sean Johnson and his Laotian, uh, is, it, is that the right word? He's from Laos, basically. I think he's got, uh, you know, what can we do about that? You know, um, can we can we use some of the star players that we've got that have an Asian background? You know, what, what is it, what other kind of uh, cultures do we want uh, to be interested in the game? Uh, you know, 
Tish as an as an Australian of Indian descent, Fijian <laughs> Indian descent. Do you yep. do you agree? We need a multicultural strategy. Absolutely, and um, Lord Valandis also agrees as well. Uh, this is actually one of the uh, things he also talked about at 100% footy. He really wants um, the NRL to um, expand out to different uh, cultures, right? Multi, a multicultural strategy is, is what he talked about. So, uh, what he actually talked about is that. Um, so, so this is interesting. So, so Peter Verlanders is of the view that we need to get back to tribalism and suburban grounds, because it's actually at the community where you want the game to be played and the game to be loved. And once you start doing that, then you could get um, culturalism, like different cultures coming to the game together. And it's very interesting the way he actually laid that out. Uh, and I think this actually ties back to what, a, a bit about what Phil Gould is talking about. You know, um, you know, basically, if you take a game, uh, I think he used Hazem El-Masri as, as an example. Um, you know, when Hazem El-Masri is playing, you know, he's, he's very strong in the Lebanese community. And, you know, he's basically, uh, you know, they're playing games that are in the area uh, yeah, Bulldogs home games are in the area where his family and friends live in, so it makes it easier for people of that culture to sort of be a part of. And he kind of said that that's something that we need to do with Asian, Indian communities, um, you know, African communities, all the different cultures that live in uh, Sydney and Brisbane. Um, you know, we need to actually bring games out to um, to, to those areas rather than having uh, having sort of you know sporting grounds that are further away from where the people actually uh, live, which I never actually thought about it like that, but it, it actually brings a point. And the other thing he talked about is participation. So I know that one of the big strategies that I have for growing the game is they want to get more people playing the game of all different ages. So that's where touch and all that comes into it. Because as Peter Volandis sort of says, um, you know, when, when you get people participating, that's actually how you create fans. Because people who participate participate become fans, and uh, that is actually very true as well. I mean, so I, I do want to see. I, I think it's quite exciting that both uh, Phil Good and uh, Peter Volandis are talking about this because I think that is actually definitely the the way to try and get um, more multiculturalism. And in the end, it grows the game, not just in Australia but overseas as well. So yeah, great. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, and a totally uh, different approach to this kind of consolidating of Sydney teams into... Look, I I dare say that that those kind of comics from uh, Peter Volandis and, uh, you know, obviously has expanded on this idea that that Phil Gould talks about, I think it kind of shows that he does actually get Sydney because I think what Mm. what we've heard lately about, you know, the, the reduction of teams in Sydney and all this sort of stuff has completely missed the point of how tribal Sydney is, just within Sydney, you know, yeah. you do, and and a lot of that tribe tribalism is actually down to, obviously it's geography, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, the cultural makeup of different areas, and you do have, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, concentrations, concentrated or concentrated areas where there's certain, uh, you know, certain ethnicities and certain cultures. Are more prominent and more dominant, and and you know, like that's something that we shouldn't forget, and th- and that's something that has taken, you know, it's taken at least a generation to develop. It's not something that can easily be overlooked, 
and it shouldn't be forgotten. I mean, you know, like what what are we going to do in Sydney? Well, you know, there is obviously a very strong Asian presence in certain areas in Sydney. You know, what can we do about that? Can we actually leverage that? Um, you know, is, what can we do about that? So th- there's really, uh, I think PVO is the first <laughs> sort of administrator of the game that's actually gone against the tide a little bit and spoken about, you know, as you said, the connection between that the stadium strategy versus the tribalism and the cultural strategy. I think that's really very interesting. So I look forward to seeing what uh, discussions I had in future. Uh, but anyway, on to the next Phil Gould idea. Uh, he goes, we need a play development strategy for other states in Australia. Uh, surely they can be taught to play our game. Uh, there's other players in other states. Look, totally, totally agree. I think this is kind of, don't we have one? I mean, I'm surprised we don't. You know, what are we what are we doing if we're not trying to grow the game in other states in Australia? It's kind of disappointing that this needs to be said. Um, Tish, probably a no-brainer. We, I guess you would agree with that, but what, you know, it yeah. also surprises me that we don't have one. Yeah, I am. I am surprised in a way that we, look. I think we do, but it's probably not uh, the best. I think it needs to be refined. I think that's probably a better way of saying it because we do have. I think there's actually there are three. There could be three players now that come from the Melbourne system um, uh, in the NRL. So I think that there's actually two. There's two actual points to growing the game in other states, which means, uh, yes, you need to have, uh, you know, juniors playing the game in those states, but you also need to have some sort of team that they can root for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the two go hand in hand. So um, I think I think obviously having, um, you know, more of the city-based teams playing in those areas is a great, is a you know, is a great sort of first step. But I think ultimately you probably need to have teams establishing themselves in those areas, if not creating new teams in those areas that you want to grow. Um, And uh, yeah, and I think, um, and I think I might just uh, bring it up here now as well. So part of the reason why they want to bring up the, uh, they want to bring a second Brisbane team in is because um, the NRL is actually quite concerned. And this is what Peter Villain just talked about in that interview as well. They're actually very concerned about, the growth of rugby league in Queensland and specifically in the south, um, you know, in the south, south, well, you know, the Brisbane type area, uh, because at the moment the teams aren't doing that well, um, as well as, you know, the, the, the players coming through, there's actually very limited pathways for even the Queensland talent. And uh, Peter Villanis makes a good point saying, you know, rugby league is, is vastly more popular in Brisbane at the, you know, in sort of in Queensland at the moment than what the AFL is, but if you look at the Brisbane Gold Coast area, we have the same amount of teams as the AFL, um, and if we don't have, if we don't sort of establish a bit of a stronghold in that area, then the AFL is going to do everything they can to sort of get in. So, you know, that's why we need that next team in there because it's vitally important um, to have another team in Brisbane to keep Queensland strong. And, um, you know, if we don't keep Queensland strong, the next problem is going to be that our biggest moneymaker, State of Origin, um, is actually under threat because, you know, people want to watch that contest. And, you know, we, you know, every New South Wales loves a New South Wales win, but we kind of, uh, at the same time, we don't want State of Origin to go away at all. And, um, you know, unless Queensland have got a, an avenue for their players to actually get to the top grade, um, other than moving states, 
then it's going to cause more problems down the down the track. And so this uh, so this seventeenth team uh, in Queensland, it's not just a a pipe or something that they're talking about. There's an actual problem they're trying to address, and uh, they've identified it, which is fantastic. And they're actually going to do it. So I'd say yes, we need to grow the grain in other states, but I also see the need now. Actually, completely convinced that we do definitely need to have that next team in Brisbane because we do need to shore up Queensland as well. Oh yeah, look, I I would agree with that. I think uh, you know we've talked about this as well though. But if you're talking about teams in South Queen, Southeast Queensland, we've got the Gold Coast Titans there as well, which is only really an hour away from yep. Brisbane. So let's be fair about that. But having said that, I mean, again, if we're talking about tribalism, people in Brisbane see themselves as different to people in, in Gold Coast and it's a different kind exactly. of setup. So, you know, you're going to have to be fair income and not just put a, a dot on the map and say close enough, <laughs> Gold Coast, close enough to Brisbane, yeah. there's two teams there. What, what what more do you want? Well, again, if we're talking, he's very consistent on that. You know, if if the Sydney, if you're going to leverage the tribalism in Sydney, you're going to have to do the same thing in Queensland as well and in Brisbane in particular. This is why I think the selection of the team, and we talked about the different kind of uh, contenders, is actually vital. You know, do they go for an Ipswich kind of Western Corridor side? Do they go for a, um, you know, a generic... Brisbane Bombers side? Do they go for a northern suburbs, uh, Redcliffe Dolphins type side? This is all very important. And and how that we talked about the the Jagera team potentially associated with uh, the Aboriginal kind of identity and culture. You know, maybe that's maybe that's going to put them over the edge. Uh, in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, the cultural kind of strategy thing as well. Maybe that's relevant. So, you know, a lot of interesting things there. Um, and, yeah, I would agree. I think Brisbane definitely needs to be shored up uh, as as a stronghold. Um, speak, a bit of a flip side of that, though, is uh, Phil Good's comment around less club football and we need to do more for representative football and including scheduling seasons. And he comes up with an idea of exploring the possibility of a second knockout style competition with huge prize money as an incentive. I'm guessing he means international football. I think he means there. I'm guessing he means a knockout competition as in not, um, you know, or, or, or does he mean knockout competition in club football? I'm not really sure what he means by that, but if he's talking about international knockout competition i think that would be pretty interesting equally that midweek kind of knockout club competition i've always said we need a champion like a cup style competition um that brings in lower level teams across australia uh wouldn't it be good to see you know Redcliffe dolphins against like gold coast titans or something you know like that that kind of stuff would be pretty interesting so what do you think of that idea about just generally about the uh, representative football uh, scheduling proper seasons to allow for more for uh, more representative football. Yeah, well, I think again, because uh, TV TV rights is such an important part of the financing of the NRL. Um, so I know that they are wanting to somehow can keep it keep the momentum as strong as it is because there is quite a lot of momentum towards the end of last year and uh, the World Cup the last few years just with just the uh, South Pacific nations, the way they're going. And I know that that is something that they're doing. Um, so, yes, so I do see that the midweek competition, I don't know if they've, they've spoken of, um, 
Uh, I know Phil Gould has uh, did bring that up. I don't think Peter Villain has actually answered that in, in that interview that I saw. So that's uh, yeah. So I'm not too sure about whether he believes in that, but I, I I love the idea. I think a knockout competition works well. Very similar to what the FA Cup is in um, in, in in sort of the UK. The interesting thing about those type of sort of tournaments is that again, you know, if you do have that underdog team from a community. Um, you know, where people of the same family cheer for the same team, and they, it's all it's all very localized and community orientated. You know, that team playing against the the best of the best. Um, you know, it does provide that that opportunity for for community. Uh, uh, you know, for, for for the passion of rugby league to sort of grow within the community, and I think that could also be a, a good good contributor. So, look, I think it's uh, yeah, again a great idea. Um, so I would like to see it, and uh, yeah, I think the, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't, I, I have a feeling that, uh, yeah, I think the, I think the NRL might actually, if they do that, I think the NRL will, uh, will need to cut down the competition, and I could see that happening as well. So, um, yeah, as far as international and the scheduling goes, I believe um, uh, Troy Grant and uh, Wayne Pierce are. Um, sort of engaged with the uh, International Rugby League to discuss how they could schedule the international calendar post-COVID. And I think one of the things that is actually on the agenda is how they could actually get the two major competitions uh, to be in sync, which I think is obviously the first step that they need to do uh, uh, you know, to try and make ensure that we could actually have enough you know, uh, months of the year to try and play International Rugby League. Yeah, and look, that's a perfect segue into the key thing that he said, which is gonna has already attracted a lot of the headlines uh, from this article was that the NRL should be assisting, and then he says, "Read take over the English Super League," <laughs> and he says, uh, "Yeah, look, basically he's saying." That uh, look, he also talks about investment in other things like the Pacific Islands, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, etc. Uh, we can all we can question where he thinks the NRL is getting the money from, uh, from to do this, given that it's only just kind of uh, got itself back on onto its feet. But this is a key thing I wanted to raise with you, Tish, because uh, you know it's not the first time that this has been suggested. I think we've spoken about this before. It's something that um, you know we follow a bit of Steve Mascord and his views as well. I remember saying this a while ago. I don't remember exactly if it was last. It must have been last year sometime. That the idea of of the the two major competitions, uh, professional competitions in the world in rugby league, uh, the the UK Super League and the NRL, should be you know potentially should be rebranded as uh, you know I guess aspects of the same kind of competition or or you know uh, rebranded as as in consistently branded now i know we've gone through this before with super league that was the idea behind super league is one brand and all across the world kind of thing um but i think this is different i think the nro has established enough of its own brand now and is has obviously shown itself to be more successful financially than the UK Super League, uh, even though the UK Super League has done well recently to expand into Canada and and obviously successfully into France. Um, and now also in the US it's happening. So, look, there's, there's elements where the, what the UK Super League is doing 
uh, is actually kind of promoting an expansion of, of the area in of the game in Europe, uh, and in fact across the northern hemisphere. Um, and maybe it's the right time for the NRL to step in and use its financial clout and actually, you know, potentially rebrand. Uh, you know, you could call it NRL Northern or, you know, NRL UK, NRL Europe, you could call it, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. Um, but it, it's it's a good idea. Um, and look, he does say assisting, but then he says take over. And so, you know, it, it is a bit of a, he's pushing the envelope there. But Tish, this is his big idea. And I wanted us to discuss it and hear what your thoughts are on this as well, despite the fact we've talked about it before. What are your thoughts? Should the NRL take over the UK Super League? For the good of the game, if that's what needs to happen, um, then I am for it. I do want to see that whatever uh, competition is... <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> uh, that whatever the, whatever uh, competition... <laughs> whatever competition is in the Super League, I think there's got to be a certain level of autonomy uh, to that competition as well. I don't think it'd be a complete branding takeover because, you know, the way the game survives in the UK is going to be different to the way the, the game survives in Australia. And look, not just Australia and uh, England, but I think in other nations as well. Uh, but I think the NRL definitely needs to have a stronger part in international football, uh, which is why, uh, as I said, there were some ha- there have been, um, you know, some people, um, you know, from the NRL that's actually been appointed to to sort of, um, you know, be, be those liaisons. Um, on top of that, Peter Verlanders did also talk about ha- having a strong England. Um, so that is something that's very key to them. So that obviously they're very concerned and watching the situation that is uh, in the UK Super League, who doesn't, I don't think, have a start date yet. Um, so I think they are very concerned about how that's all going to play out as well. And, and um, you know, so I, I, can, I can see the NRL doing that. There is another little uh, aspect to this, which is, um, something Peter Verlander's addressed as well, which is, um, you know, last year when the World Club Challenge uh, was taking place, you know, the then CEO Todd Greenberg was in England uh, to actually watch the World Club Challenge. But while that was taking place, Peter Verlander's and the new, well, the interim CEO, uh, Andrew Abdo, they were in um, New York, and I think they were also in California, talking to over-the-top streaming services such as Netflix um, and uh, Amazon and, and some of these com- companies like that. And what could uh, – I was just wondering, because I know that one of the problems with having a, uh, like, you know, a, a Netflix-style service of the NRL um, is that there's not going to be the viewership numbers available in Australia to make that possible. But when the NRL or when regularly – becomes part of a, a bigger body of uh, people, like, uh, you know, so the English Super League, the NRL, other competitions around the world, you've expanded the game internationally. Suddenly, that becomes a very viable uh, business model and it takes the dependence away from, uh, uh, from TV rights deals. So I do believe that there is some suggestion it's not going to be an overnight thing, but I think it could be a uh, a long-term strategy because uh, they talk a lot about buying assets and things like that. I think there is a long-term strategy here to try and uh, 
uh, have a global uh, rugby league uh, body that's got teeth, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Look, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's about coordinating and pooling your resources. And mm. and it comes off the back of that comment you made earlier about the, the alignment between the seasons and, and the competitions. I mean, it's kind of, you know, one of the things about rugby league in general is that it's been uh, so good at shooting itself in the foot. Like it's got, it's had so <laughs> many really good, uh, you know, positives uh, to leverage and we've completely kind of squandered opportunities and you think like look this is the it's it's not quite the same but you know when you compare it to other uh major sports that are not that are not not soccer basically um you know you think could you imagine what what it would be like if say the nba you know had an an almost equally powerful uh, and uh, popular professional competition somewhere else in the world in, in another kind of uh, powerhouse nation. Um, you know, it doesn't really at the moment, like I know that basketball's kind of big in Europe, but it doesn't really have a, there's no single competition that it's like two, two twin towers of, of twin powers of rugby league, you know, like all twin powers of basketball. It's not really like that. And so, you know, there aren't too many sports where you've got, um, you know, one competition and another one that's that's kind of close behind, and daylight second, daylight third, basically. So, uh, really, this is a unique scenario for rugby league, and you think that they would pull together and, and come together and say, look, you know, we're the two powerhouses. Let's get together and organise ourselves a bit better. Um, and that's what they definitely need to do. And the investment is the other thing uh, that, that, that Phil Gould raises in other contexts as well. His ideas around investing more in the game uh, in a more coordinated way is really important. Um, just heading back to Phil Gould's comments as well, uh, one of the other things he talks about is basically getting the clubs, the NRL clubs, to actually... Uh, you know, not just be seen as just the elite clubs, but also that they should be responsible for development uh, at the lower level as well, which there's some positives to that. I mean, when we spoke about the, when you talk about the pathways thing with the reserve grade, et cetera, it kind of makes sense that you would have these clubs, uh, you know, taking ownership of growing the game in their area, um, which they kind of do, but I think they need to do in a lot more coordinated way. And, uh and also, yeah, like to be responsible for those supporting programs of schools and junior leagues and also regional areas. I mean, I think I'm not sure what's happened. I, I think there used to be in a time where the clubs, each of the clubs in the NRL had uh, ownership of a particular area to, to develop and foster um, players, etc., and and get interest in the game. And I just wonder whether that's still the case or whether it's been, it was more of an organic thing, but I think it needs to be very structured and i think that's something that we definitely i agree with i think the the only way around accountability problems is to actually get those who are getting money from the game the clubs to actually be responsible for this um you know it it kind of saves a bit of it's also a way to save on uh front office overheads as well which is another issue that that was raised Uh, one way to cut funding to the head office is to not get 
everything done centrally via the NRL, but to decentralise and let the clubs be more responsible for for some of those things. So I think that's also a cost-cutting measure, but also I think it makes sense. Uh, what do you think about that? those general comments and those views of uh, Phil Gould? Yeah, look, I think it's good. I think what he's basically alluding to is that we need to have all of, all 16 clubs have a strong focus with development of players uh, because at the moment you don't have all 16 clubs doing that. Uh, and I think Fogel talks about that a lot. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I do agree with that because you do have uh, – you, 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 you kind of say, you know, you, you take a team like the Panthers – or the Tigers, you know, I'll, I'll use the Tigers in this instance. Look at how many of the players that are playing for the Roosters and Melbourne and Parramatta, well, maybe not Parramatta, but, yeah, look, some of these other clubs all making it to the top eight and whether they all start, they started, started at the Tigers, you know what I mean? So um, similar sort of thing with the Panthers. I think Parramatta is another strong development club. Uh, but then you have some other clubs where, you know, if you actually look at their playing roster, not a lot of their players come from their own junior area. And I think that that is a bit of a problem. And I think there's something that they need to address um, because I think I think that will, in a way, will level up the playing field a little bit as well, which, uh, which, is, which is, I think, something that we kind of do need at times. Yeah, a uh, couple more to go. The NRL should have specific trade windows. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, look, the thing about not having a trade window is that um, you are always got rugby league in the headlines about player movements, um, <laughs> and that's a better headline than some of the others that you get when you don't. So um, I think I think in a way it's actually a pretty good marketing strategy not to have a trade window. Yeah, fair enough. Another another one is about the way the game markets itself, and he says, look, I love the way – this is typical feel-good speak. It's hilarious. Fans don't cheer for governance or integrity units. They don't want to know about profits or broadcast deals. They don't get excited by manipulated statistics on social media interactions or unique views on a website story. This is all fluff. Promote the football, the footballers, and the club logos. Promote the tribalism and rivalry between these logos. That's the game. Tish, do you agree with that? 100%. (laughs) Uh, you don't you don't think that fans cheer in integrity units and governance units? No, no just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, look, the only uh, yeah, uh, obviously, um, the the problem here is like uh, when we start focusing on these other aspects to it, and then I think the bunker gets included into this as well, the video refereeing and all that sort of stuff. Um, that kind of uh, puts. It makes every NRL person, uh, any loyal, uh, rusted-on fan, sound so, uh, you know, uh, sort of disenchanted with rugby league, which is not the sort of thing you want. Whereas if you've got people talking about the big hits, the big tries, the great tries, oh, that was awesome, you know, you know the big plays, um, and you focus on the actual on, on-field product, that's how you actually grow the game. Um, and I think that's uh, the very simple case of that is State of Origin. I mean, think about the way State of Origin has been promoted since its inception. You know, these two teams. You know, it's you know, it's all about where you're from. You know, it's not about it's made of it, made against mate. You know, um, you know, friend against friend. You know, up until the 1980s, it, it, it had it was just an interstate rivalry. Really, didn't have uh, didn't really have that much of a of a feeling to it. But as soon as you start putting those emotions in, you know, and then it, it's now become the biggest game. And 
what people talk about when they talk about State of Origin, they talk about the moments, they talk about the tries, they talk about all that sort of thing. And I think um, that's what we need to be doing about our regular season games as as well. You know that you know the the classic you know matches need to be told in in a very uh, you know very, very awesome way. You know, like this weekend you've got the Broncos versus the Titans. You know, um, they don't really have that rivalry, even though they're kind of really close to each other. So, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I think the NRL really needs to um, work on when it comes to their marketing. Yeah, look, and, and consistent with what PVL said as well about the tribalism and getting back to that kind of... Those are the things that really drive the game and, and the success of the game. And I think... Uh, that's Look, I think it's such a good thing. I wouldn't have expected someone like him to, to come up with these comments when, when we first heard about his involvement in the ARL Commission uh, that... You know, he's he's not so much about, yes, he's got a businessman's kind of brain and, and he's taken that approach to the game, cutting head office overheads, etc. But he is also bringing that kind of, uh, that element of, you know, the rugby league needs, needs to get back its soul, basically, get back to where, what made it successful. Um, you know, the evidence of that is the final point, which I want to make, which Feel Good makes, which is about the referee and the fact that it's been very successful in the recent month that we've been back where we've seen one referee and the six again um, kind of penalties. Uh, he says it's been an outstanding success, which I think it has been. And, and it kind of all boils down to, you know, getting back to what made the game successful and not overthinking it, not over refereeing, not over... Uh, overdoing it and uh, turning it into too much of a business. So, Tish, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are in general of uh, of uh, Phil Gould's uh, comments, how much they align with PVL, but also, you know, do you agree that in my summary of, you know, ultimately it's, it's about getting back to what made the game successful to begin with uh, and what, you know, and, and, and trying to identify that it's about tribalism and it's about that connection with uh, our key stakeholders, which are the people, the fans. What do you think? Exactly. Look, 100% agree. I think when you say getting back to what it's all about, let's go back to the way when Rugby League first started in 1895. Um, you know, we needed the fan to make this game work because we needed, um, you know, we needed, they needed to make money to pay the players, basically. And... Um, the way you get fans is you got to put on an entertaining product, and you know the rule changes are that's that that's they've made the game more entertaining. Um, and I think everything that we talked about here is all about actually making the game more entertaining, having more you know nations play, having uh, you know more teams play. Ha- yeah, it is it is all about basically creating a better product so people can support it, and um, and that's. Uh, and that's something that I think has been a silver lining in in what's happened in rugby league over the last few months during this situation. Um, there's been a, a focus to sort of get back to where we need to be, and I think Phil Gold's um, you know article is sort of uh, you know uh, basically the fruit of that. And I think that the way the NRL was thinking is very much aligned to that as well. So um, you know, very exciting for rugby league at the moment. That's why uh, that's why we can't get enough of it at the moment. That's right. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. It was a great uh, discussion there, not just of uh, Phil Gould, but also some of the the, uh, Peter Volander's comments uh, recently. Just good to get his view about the vision of where the game needs to go. Uh, 
All right, so finally, we're going to look at the tips for round seven. So look, uh, you, we basically both got five out of uh, eight last weekend. So I'm, I'm at 20.5 and you're at 17.5 for post-COVID world. Um, let's get into our round eight. Yes. Uh, round seven, sorry, tips. So first game, Panthers versus Rabbitohs. Uh, I think the Panthers have shown that they... Uh, I think this will be close, but I think the Panthers will, will um, just get ahead there of the Rabbitohs. Yeah, that's right. Campbelltown's been sacked. Jubilee Stadium uh, is taking over from Campbelltown Stadium, and I think uh, Penrith's get it. Well, it's hard because it kind of becomes a south. No, Penrith and mine. <laughs> uh, Storm <laughs> versus Warriors, I think. Look, how much of a bounce back are the Warriors going to get with uh, post-coach sacking? Uh, not much, I don't think. I think the Storm will win this one. Yep. Uh, look, I think the Storm will win this one too. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I believe uh, Jubilee is now going to be the home for Melbourne while Victoria goes on lockdown, which is kind of interesting for them as well. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, Roosters and Dragons. So this was, you know, was going to be the... Uh, <laughs> Anzac Day. This yeah. is the Anzac Day match, basically. <laughs> but yeah, I think Roosters showed that they, uh, they've... They're going to have to fall asleep to lose this one, so Roosters for mine. Yeah, I <laughs> I agree. Uh, the Roosters, and you know what? They they uh, they're very much suited to playing at Bankwest Stadium. So yeah, I, th- I think it's going to work out well for them. All right, uh, Cowboys versus Knights. I think the Knights will win this one quite easily. Yeah, look, I'm going to. T- oh no, I'm going to have to stick with the Knights as well. You <laughs> <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> Broncos Titans, the the great rivalry that hasn't been marketed very well. <laughs> Broncos for mine. Okay, well you know what this is uh, now. Big news here. Uh, I believe uh, up to ten thousand fans will be allowed to watch this game in Queensland because uh, I think they've uh, lifted some restrictions about that. Mm. So there's going to be a bumper crowd of ten thousand there at Suncorp Stadium, <laughs> and I think the Titans are going to win. Because I think they've been, they've been as bad as they've been. I think they've been better than the Broncos. So I'm going to tip the Titans on that one. Well, there you go. Um, Eels versus Raiders. I think uh, I think the Eels. Well, it's hard to tell with such a high quality, tough game against the Roosters how they'll bounce back. But I think they will bounce back. So the Eels for mine. Uh, look, I am going to tip the Eels as well. Um, yeah, I don't think Canberra. I. I Canberra falling uh, away at the moment, so um, I think the Eels need to bounce back, and they will. All right, and the Battle of the Beaches held in a totally different beachside area. Manly versus Cronulla in Central Coast Stadium. <laughs> Work that one out. Manly will win that one, though, I believe. I think they're, they're just showing, starting to show their form. Uh, look, I'm going to tip a bit of an upset. I think Cronulla... Um, I think it's two game. Oh no, they lost it. Yeah, I'm gonna tip. I'm gonna tip the sharks. I think the sharks are sort of bouncing back a little bit. So yeah. All right, and finally, bulldogs and tigers. Uh, look, normally this would be you know battle of the uh, the 1988 great grand final. There, uh, <laughs> for those who remember, I think the tigers will win this one quite easily. Yeah, look, uh, I'm going to tip the Tigers in this one as well. But uh, last year, Canterbury beat the Tigers twice. So, uh, yeah, so I think a big uh, the West Tigers will have to be on their game and have uh, yeah can't just play 40 minutes. They're going to have to play the full lady this time. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it is an 80-minute game after all, so that's good. Um, all right. Well, that wraps up the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed our discussion of some really big issues today. Uh, don't forget you can reach us via email at ourrepublic at gmail.com. You can find uh, all of our podcasts on our website, ourrepublic.com. Check us out on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you're on iTunes, please uh, download, subscribe to our podcast and leave your review and post comments as well. Uh, Tish, it was a big one. We got through a lot, but uh, it's good sometimes to deep dive into some of these issues and uh, remind ourselves of, uh, you know, the direction that we're heading and the vision for the future of rugby league. And I'm, I'm sort of glad that we've got we've got some uh, pretty interesting, uh, you know, ways forward that uh, PVL and people like Phil Gould have you know, he's been positive, in, which is not what we've seen from Phil Good very recently. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting that he's so supportive of the direction that we're going. Maybe there's something that's going on right uh, over at the ARL Commission. So Maybe he's trying to become CEO. Maybe, maybe he is. <laughs> maybe he is. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but look, thanks so much, Tish. Uh, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, Our numbers are up, which is awesome as well. But look, um, that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.